We are underway at Melbourne Park. Uses Kelsey Wings, is guarded by Mike Kelly. Penetrating, spinning to the baseline. Excellent move from Kelsey Wings and Smith. Two-point attempt, hard on the iron. McKinnon over the top of Shane Hill. Stand by. It's an exclamation point on that play. Shane Hill against McKinnon. Again, contact, this time no whistle. The hammer pulls away and drops three more. Followed, I assume, because it was going straight to Sam McKinnon. His no-look part. He's got it back and he stuffed it in the hole. It bounced off Matty Nielsen. McKinnon scooped it up. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is NBL Rewind. Cam Luke, Liam Santa Maria, our very special guest, is ready to go. Liam, hello to you. And this is one, both being Melbournians as we are, that I think fair to say we've been looking forward to. For sure. Slam and Sam. About time we had him on the show. It is, it is and he does, George. Sam McKinnon through everything. Obviously, Magic, Townsville, Razorbacks, Australia, the Bullets. So much to get into. Hello to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, missing, uh, I'm not missing Melbourne at the moment, but... Um, yeah, it was awesome growing up in Melbourne, playing professional basketball and um, having the support, big crowds and um, lots of fond memories. All right, we'll get to what it all meant to be sort of plucked from that junior age straight into the big time with your team in your backyard. But this game, you played Sydney Kings, you're playing for the Magic, your first ever triple-double. I know you've watched it. People around the country have watched it. If you haven't, Twitch, NBL TV, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, however you do it. What's the one thing that sticks out for you? Nothing to do with the game. It oh, was the, um, the pre-game. So the Magic were pretty creative back in the day. It must have been a healthy budget. But um, they actually did a little bit of a recognition to some old players who were championship players. And wouldn't you know, Andre Lamanis was one of the first one that walked out in his singlet, just waving to the crowd with cheerleaders, arm in arm. So, um, yeah, Dre, Bill Palmer, um, Warren Pink. Yeah, so some, um, some ex-greats and... Uh, First time I've seen Lamanis in a plain uniform, but I don't think he played very much. <laughs> Did you screenshot that? Has that made its way around the... Uh, oh, the... It's about to. It's about to go to all my social followers. Now, um, yeah, I'll sh- some WhatsApp groups, so I'll share it to the, the group later today. Now, now of course, being, just on that, being the GM now, being creative in NBL 21, is this how you think Dre should maybe come out to games to coach next year, hand-in-hand with uh, cheerleaders and waving to the crowd in a playing jersey? It could work. It, um, you know, Dre's got to change up his style and be a bit more out there. So we'll see. Maybe he might coach in shorts, in his short shorts and, and a single at one game for Heritage Rounds. Could be a good idea. I love that idea. Sam, this is, this is what it is on NBL Rewind. Rewind. It's, a, uh, it's a stroll down memory lane. So I don't know if you've spent much time kind of reflecting on your career and all the twists and turns, but we're going to do that over the next little bit here. Let's, let's start with the magic. This night, we, we got this game obviously uh, with a 1998 team that, that ended up losing the grand final. But what are the overriding thoughts and feelings and emotions when you go back and watch footage of you within that magic program? Um, I think I was just young um, and trying to figure it all out. Like we were, as far as a team and a culture, it's the best culture I've been involved in in basketball. Um, and that's all to do with Gorge and people who puts you around. Um, and I fought that my whole career, trying to get, why isn't Townsville like this? Why isn't Razor that? Why the why? And um, look back on it now, and I just watched um, some footage and we're pretty talented. We had a lot of good young people. And if I look at the game, we're gonna talk about Chris and Clint McDaniel sitting on the bench. Um, we go six foot six, six foot six and above, and we're long and athletic and just, Pounded inside, and clearly someone got hot from outside. It was nice, but um, very talented. Uh, some good old veteran leadership on that group as well. Um, unfortunately, we probably came up short, 97 and 98. And I don't know why I um, decided to move on after this over the next season. But yeah, it's um, yeah a lot of fond memories. But yeah, very very talented. Maybe I should have shot the ball a bit more. Yeah, um, so that's 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 what comes to mind a little mm. bit that that, that uh, you should have been a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I think for my looking back now, I was probably a bit too unselfish, but that's just who I was. I enjoyed being part of a good team, a good culture, and um, I, I love winning. And I was happy to get a rebound or play defense and 
Um, that's what made me who I am today. Like I look at the the keyway and the stretch of the floor, um, different areas, whatnot. But um, yeah, I was pretty aggressive trying to get offensive rebounds, and that was sort of part of our part of our thing for second chance points and slashing to the basket off post feeds. I, I look at that now and just come on, young fella, cut, move. But they run stands for space, so it's, the game's definitely different. But you just got to pick your times to get involved because not everyone can have the ball in their hand. And I think that's what I did well is get involved without the ball in my hand. Let's go back to the start because it's incredibly talented junior. I'm assuming you had a lot of NBL clubs after you. Uh, yeah, so I yep. um, I actually tried to get signed by the, I think it was the West Side Saints back in the day with um, Gary Fox. Mm-hmm. Sent a, a letter out and was like, nah, that, not interesting sort of thing. And just... And then a year later, um, yeah, quite a few teams, all the Melbourne teams and particularly Brisbane. I flew to Brisbane and got recruited here. I was going to do year 12 at St. Peter's and um, turned that down. It was sort of out of pretty much the, the Giants and the Magic. And um, I chose to play for the for the, for the Magic because of Gorgian and just the, I don't know, just the whole sense and the, I guess the sell, so to speak, and the development he put into. So that was a good decision. Well, when, when you're making that decision, does it ever factor into the fact, and you, and you mentioned the bullets there, but like you, you're from Melbourne, you don't live too far away from, say, Flinders Park or, or the Glass House, whatever they were playing at the time. How much of a pull or how much of it in that decision was it you're going to play in your backyard in front of huge crowds with, you know, your family and friends being able to go every Friday and Saturday night and watch you do it? Yeah, that was big for me, like family and, and just sort of being in the hometown and being comfortable. Probably I was probably a bit too scared to travel and, um, it wasn't until like that my first year that a fair few college opportunities came my way as well. But because I was a professional, I was pretty comfortable in Melbourne. And, you know, it was a pretty easy decision to play in front of 15,000 people. Um, you know, my first game might have been against the Bullets and might have been a Wednesday night and it was 8,000. And, you know, the local derby's 15,000. Giants, Kings was 12,000. So it was, we were the, we were the shit. We were pretty good back in the day and got a, um, a lot of publicity and the, the product was really good too. Liam will know your stats. So do you remember your first game and what you did? Or, and if not, Liam can help you out. Jeez, I, I think my first score was a free throw, believe it or not. It wasn't, it wasn't in your first throw. game though, Sam. <laughs> Told you to have it. <laughs> Zero <laughs> points, five fouls, I think, on debut. Really? Was it that bad? <laughs> All right. Was that against Brisbane or not? Jeez, uh, I'm not sure. The stat, the stat man... Uh, Statman would know. Five of those fouls were mistakes, mate. They, they were just guessing by the referee. Statman, you're wrong, mate. Sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> well, can't be right. While we're talking, let's talk about stats. Because you were a stat sheet stuffer. We talk, I mean, we, we're highlighting this game because it was your first triple-double. Second all-time in triple-doubles in the NBL behind Rob Rose. Uh, obviously, you know, the most of any Australian-born player in the NBL. What um, did you... Did you think about stats at any point during your career? Were you, did you enjoy getting triple doubles or, or stuff in the stat sheet? Did you look at the box score after games? What, what was your mentality about stats during your career? Uh, I just, I just what's, what I did really, like I could rebound. And for me, getting myself involved in the game was grabbing a defensive rebound, bringing it up the floor. In halftime, you end up passing someone who shoots it because it's a good play. And, that was just my natural game. So the stats came out of that. Um, in the half court, I wouldn't say offense ran through me, um, but maybe just because of my athletic ability, I could draw a double team and I had half a brain so I could make a decent pass. But um, no, I think just just the way I played, really. There's definitely, I remember there's definitely some games when you're aware that you're close to triple-double. And I know um, Pat Reedy never lives it down, but in Townsville, I was going for a triple-double and they put me back on to get it. I think, and um, drew up a play and Pat was, I would draw the double team and just pass it. And Pat had just a bunny layup, like just literally a finger roll. And he went into the front and the bottom of the rim. I was like, so he's apologised for that so many times and brought me beers. But um, there were times definitely when you're aware you're close. Um, so that's always a bit of a fun and you see that these days. You are talking before about how the magic is the best culture you've ever been a part of within basketball you got you're obviously a part of trying to build the same thing right there in Brisbane what made it so good how would you define it what were the key elements of that culture that made it so good um I think well Brian it's the care um it's the how you are as a person not just 
if you're on court and you're playing, that's your personality, but it's the off-court development where Brian's second to none. Um, you know, Brucey Gray is still a well-renowned um, strength and conditioning coach. And um, so we were fit, uh, just psychologists, the people that Brian would, would sort of bring into the club for whatever you needed. I know I need some help in that space. And Billy Nelson was good for me. Um, just anything, like just, he was, that's what Brian did. And um, going to Townsville, that's what Stacks tried to implement a bit of that. Too. It just takes time. Um, and because Brian was in the community in Melbourne, he knew a lot of people, well-connected. So just very fortunate and just bits and pieces that I picked up along the way. Um, good people's paramount, um, whether it's admin, staff, uh, basketball department, you kind of need to all be one. Um, and that's what Brian was really strong at, just bringing everyone together and spending money, Brian was good at. So um, as he's doing with Wollongong, but we'll go there later. <laughs> Hi, George. Um, but yeah, um, great with that. And I think that's why I'm really lucky here, like to work with Dre. Um, Dre was Stax's assistant and with the magic and obviously did great things in New Zealand. So what we're doing here in Brisbane, we're getting there. Um, I think we have a really good um, on-court team going at the moment and we're just trying to work through things slowly and it does take time, um, but we're trying to make a mark here in the Brisbane community. I was just going to say, Cam, just jump on something that uh, Sam said there. What, what, what did you work on with, with Billy Nelson during those early years? Uh, just a bit of a kind of... Um, Oh, positive feed, positive talk was one one of my biggest issues, just um, getting down on myself. Um, but like team, I was pretty close with Daniel Kowalski for a bit. So just other athletes going through certain things and just your your own personal thoughts and just battling those. So um, they were big for me. Um, I was always told how good I was um, as a junior and even as a professional, but the NBA talk, things like that, um, definitely did affect me at times. And... Um, let the pressure probably get to me. And yeah, so that was stuff that Billy helped me with. I, I always, just, just on that, I, I always ask a lot of athletes when you actually knew you were going to actually make something of it. So clearly you're incredibly talented as you touched on and everyone has ups and downs. Do you, do you remember a particular time? And I'm asking this, it's a loaded question because I think there is one game I was actually at and I think that it actually changed the fortunes of that season and also kind of, both you and Chris Anstey, I think, kind of announced you arrived. Was there, was there a moment of time in those first couple of years where you actually started to realise how good you could be? Uh, I mean, I, I think I knew I was half decent when Brian started me in my first year, halfway through the season. There was a bit of uproar with um, uh, Bruce Bolden and, and David Graham and John Dorgie and I came in the starting lineup. So I kind of thought I was okay then. And I, I remember we might have played a final that first year against... Perth in Perth and I think I was maybe like nine nine and nine so in my first year as I just turned 18 so um I kind of thought I was good and then just the belief comes and um probably just impacting the game and I was probably able to impact the game without scoring too much too so that was when I knew I was could make my mark now I asked this question with some trepidation Liam because I'm not sure if Sam can remember this game but it was I think it was 96 and the Giants were 20 points up. Dean Mack was doing whatever he wanted to do. And then you and Chris Anstey just tore it apart in the second half. And you end up coming back to win. I think you won, in the end, fairly comfortably 10 or 12 points. And it sort of turned the fortunes of the season for the Magic. It led to a championship. Do you remember that game? I'm, I'm hopeless. I probably... <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't. I've got to... Sorry for the late, great leading game. Um, yeah, no, I... Well, sorry. No, that's fine. Because when you've played as many big games as you have, you know, I was, yeah. you know, a young kid in Melbourne going, this is amazing. That's yeah. fine. Because uh, I, I think, think Liam, like, was that, was that at Melbourne Park? It was at Melbourne Park. Did I get you some know, really big offensive rebounds? A monstrous, I monstrous one late. You know what? Hey, Key Malazzi one was there. Yeah. I do remember that game. Yeah. NBA <laughs> people were there. I do remember yeah. you mentioned it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did play good that game. You did play good. And I, I think it propelled. And obviously, you're already incredibly talented and playing well. But it propelled the season. But that's going to be an NBL Rewind game, Liam, in the next couple of months. I, we're okay. getting it up there because I want people to see it, in particular, the second half. Except for Giants fans, you can look away. <laughs> uh, Sam, you jumped onto my radar uh, years before that, actually, um, at the old Albert Park Stadium uh, when you were playing for Diamond Valley. Uh, yeah. I used to play, I was in the under 12s under Ken Watson. And then I'd hang around court one at that stadium throughout the rest of the night and watch 
you types of guys come through and I can remember the night Diamond Valley came through and just just watching the warm-ups and it was just <laughs> flush after flush after <laughs> flush and I was like oh my god who is this guy um you're probably going to play Aaron Traher that night um yeah and I can remember watching that and and then obviously was it tip that was it tip top was it Sunny the tip- crust Sunny Crust. Sunny Crust Bakery. So that Talk was... us through the experience. I mean, that ad put you mm. on the map for a lot of non-basketball people. Yeah, it was, what was the experience uh, of shooting that? Yeah, that was, it was a, a studio in the back of Albert Park and green screens and all that sort of stuff and jumping all day. And I guess I look back, I was very fortunate to have a few endorsements for, for basketball and um, flying through crowds and um, things like that. So that was a very unique experience at that time, filming that and um, sort of putting myself out there and not the most confident person, you'd say. Um, my ability was, was probably good, but my confidence in just speaking and publicly and whatnot, I was good around my friends and whatnot, but it just put me out in that sphere where I had to sort of present myself a little bit uh, better, I guess you could say, and that's where Brian, that's the part that Brian helps you with off the court. So. Um, yeah, great experience. Lots of free bread. Um, the guys love me. I'd get a tray of bread delivered every training session and um, the boys would take it all home and um, <laughs> anyone would come to training and pick up that. We had that big M's. Probably not good for the dietitians these days. Much white bread and chocolate milk, but gee, that was good. <laughs> 96, you win a championship and we're going to touch on obviously near misses both because of games you played in grand finals and ones you did miss through injury and there was a number of years between that championship in 96 and your next one do you think at the time you appreciated that 96 championship enough you went to a strong team you were highly touted olympics you played for australia did you appreciate at the time what it meant to be Uh, a champion no not enough like i was um as a junior was really lucky which um we won five australian national championships came into the nbl and lost the giants in 94 uh, I can't remember what happened in 95, but we won in 96. Like, oh, this is just going to keep on going. We're going to keep mm-hmm. on winning. And 97, 98, we made the championships, but lost all three of those. I think it was one to Tigers and two to Adelaide, I think it was, the yeah. shortened season. Yep. Um, and then I think just that's where I just started to question my own development, where I was at and with Brian and um, Stack got the job in, in Townsville and, and decided to move on there and... Um, just because I wanted to, I thought I wasn't improving as an individual. It was just um, stats could help with that, and things were going along really well there with my own personal development. Uh, 2000 Olympics, and came back after that, got injured, and uh, yeah, missed the grand final um, match there against Wollongong. So yeah, it just sort of that's when I started to realise this is really hard to get back to a championship mm-hmm. and win one. Um, for injury for me personally, injury, and just not. Um, performing so I always wanted to get back to that level and try to win another championship that took me 10 11 years and and just on that as well on that in that time frame you of course 23 and under world championship that you won in your own backyard as well so that was intertwined so that that winning continued after the 96 championship into 97 and of course uh, Chris Ancy and and Stacker of course a huge part of that as well so you went you know a five-year period and then you throw juniors in that essentially i'm not saying it was easy but from the outside yeah. it just looked like everything you touched was was gold yeah like even like those australian junior teams you talk about i forgot about that one but that, that's a super talented team look back with nielsen anstey dwighty we all the traher is the best junior player ever i think in the world he's if you walked into greece and spoke to a 45 year old bloke you'd know andrew who would know who aaron traher is um type thing that was big back then um but yeah, just like good people, um, fortunate, like you get your strong age groups come through in juniors and propelled me through to, to professionally, was doing well and part of winning groups. So yeah, just sort of for me, post 2000, bit of a, a roller coaster. Just just on that, and I know that you don't remember every single moment, but I'm guessing you remember that 10 seconds against Argentina. You mentioned Aaron Traher. Is that the most exciting 10 seconds of your career, the, the stop into the Traher three and then the pylon? Yeah, look, we we just know how good Aaron was. Like Liam mentioned then about juniors, Don Valley versus um, Tigers. I was like, who's this kid? Far out. He's awesome. And Albert Swizer tournaments, he would always seen Aaron do amazing things. And... Um, He's very laconic and late and whatever you want to say about Azza. Um, but geez, he could 
he had some big ones and was willing to take the shot. So yeah, that was that was unbelievable, and you could see how hard we celebrated and how pumped we were for each other. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the move to Townsville, um, and you know what you were feeling at the time. Looking back, are you was it the right move? I think it was for me at that stage, um, just because I think Stacks was great at developing people and the, the training plan he had in place. Um, yeah, look, who knows if I if I hadn't got injured, if I would have stayed or not. Um, I did try to come back, I think, to the Titans at that stage after Townsville. After Townsville, um, little known fact, I just tried to come back for half the money and whatnot, and um, but just I think they fell over or whatever happened there, but. Now, Townsville was great. Like I got to be around, well, Rob Rose firstly, um, and just see what type of competitor and what drove him. And then with Stacks bringing Mike Kelly and um, Pat Reedy, all those guys that he brought in, um, the development of Goody, a few of the young kids, Brad Davidson, um, that was a really good group as well. Um, so like the first year in Townsville, I, I definitely questioned, I was like, what did I, what did I do? What am I doing? Like, um, Simon was a different person back then. Um, he'd freely admit that. And just trying to get everyone on one page was like, oh my God, yeah. crazy. And probably me being a uh, the big shot young kid coming into things didn't go great the first year, but after that it picked up. And um, yeah, that was, that was good. Unfortunately, just the injury happened there and kind of had to deal with that the rest of my career. So the injury you're talking about, the was it a bone bruise, a, a knee yeah. injury? Yep. In the, late in the 2001 season. This is, these are some of the most fun parts for Cam and I on NBL Rewind. The, the, yep. the what-if moments, the big yeah. what-if moments in NBL history. Mm. What happens that season and perhaps beyond the repercussions, what happens if you don't get injured late in that season? Oh, look, I don't want to take anything away from Wollongong, but I think it would be a different scenario if I was out there. Um, just the way I was playing... I was playing pretty good and it was the trainings like the what happens when you play in a world championships on Olympics whatever it is you come back from those things and you just you play at a different level all the guys are lucky enough to represent their country um, you just feel that and I was definitely feeling that and just unfortunately I just jumped in the air and landed and hyperextended my knee and had a bone bruise and it was there on the first scan and I had a little surgery to get rid of a cyst, which was on my ACL. And um, unfortunately, I was a red herring and got told to run around again in 10 days and did that for a month. And next minute, I needed a, what they call a chondroplasty. And that's sort of where it just all went sort of pear-shaped. So they, yeah, so that's unfortunately just a bit of a, if I'd taken six weeks off and rested it, maybe it would have been different. You mentioned about personal development and, and development as a basketballer, but like handling, and we're going to get to Razorbacks when it comes to grand finals and, and being injured as well. But like, how do you personally, how, how did you grow or did you personally develop by being on the sidelines, being a part of that team, but not being on court when they're there for what would have been their only NBL championship? How did you handle it personally and did you grow from it? I didn't grow from that as much there in, in, in Townsville. I found um, personally, the team was having a lot of success and um, I kind of want to be a part of that. So I don't know. Hopefully I wasn't a distraction to the group, um, but uh, probably just in that little fishbowl environment of Townsville, you, I found you quickly forgotten as an athlete because I have in success and um, some of the owners would not really talk to you as much as they had previously, um, which was interesting. Mm. Um, select few. That, so that was just probably an eye-opener for me when I wasn't performing and just how the, the, as a professional athlete, you can be um, cast aside. Uh, so, yeah, and that was hard to watch, hard to watch, you know, both franchises going for championship and, and whatnot and us coming a bit short and wondering what if I'd played and what if I could have helped. Um, yes, that was, that was tough to do. I probably I developed a lot as a person the next year. Just on that, and you, and you mentioned obviously, you know, the ownership or people kind of forgetting if you're not playing well. You mentioned it before. Like, is that why you didn't stay? Uh, it was a bit of a reason. Like, it was sort of like, um, well, I did what, yeah, I think it was just a frustration at the yep. management of the injury and not knowing what was going on and being up north, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I just thought, and 
Fuck me to get out of there, I think. So you moved from there to the West Sydney Razorbacks. Robbie Cadiz is able to recruit you to, mm -hmm. to come in. You sit and watch them lose a grand final the following yep. year. What, what, what are, what's your overwhelming feeling when you reflect on your West Sydney Razorbacks time? Is it frustration? Is it, is it enjoyment? Like what, what is it that comes to mind? Well, it's timing. That's what it is. Um, like just not being able to play the first year and um, they paid me a good sum of money to go there and I just felt horrible the whole time not being able to play for that first year and um, once again sitting there and watching them have success and going, I'm sure I could help them, I'm sure I could help get over the line and the frustration of that. But then also for me, I was probably in my own head about where's my career at? Am I going to come back and play? Because I just couldn't put any weight through it. But I had a really good... Um, physio Matthew Stewart and just and um, look I pretty much signed a contract where I waived my next three years if I didn't get back to play where I wouldn't get one cent of the money um, and bet on me bet on the house so to speak so yeah lots of um, just rebuilding that strength and um, yes yeah, so that was a, a difficult time that first year and then yeah so time and then came good and could play the next few years and Unfortunately, come the 03, 04 final, my leg, my knee started to just that the nature of that injury, you just you pound it so more cartilage just tears away. And I felt it coming into the finals, and I was like, don't do this to me. And I tried to hobble around, but yeah, game five. We, we've, uh, we, we have featured game five actually on NBL Rewind yeah, earlier in the series. It. It's, um, it's really good. What, Never hear about it. Uh, from a basketball purist and a, a neutral fan, as, as Liam and I were at the time, it is one of the most remarkable games of all time. But uh, being a part of it and unfortunately losing end, how often do you play that in your head? Or not Not maybe not now, but in the aftermath of, of what was an incredible comeback? Because the game and the championship was pretty much done. Yeah, no, it's um, oh, one of those ones you kind of try to forget about. It's... Um, for me, getting myself like fit and healthy and back to try to contribute. Um, unfortunately, just personally, the stuff like, I mean, we we're all Australian, um, which would have been pretty amazing if we got that done. Um, I think Scotty was injured, McGregor was injured too. Um, Brad Williams came in for him. Um, yeah, and then just watching CJ, um, Ebira. So, I mean, Jason, they all deserved it. Um, good series. You know, Edwin flowed a bit. Lots of talented guys out there. The Sydney showdown had to be a winner. It wasn't us. Yeah. So that one hurt. You, you speak about Ebby. You, you speak about CJ Bruden. You, you speak about Jason Smith. You, and you've got your work with Stuhl and you've got close relationships with others. How many times do they bring it up? In the, in, the, in the aftermath of it, even maybe to this day, do they ever just every now and then randomly say, remember that last quarter? CJ doesn't say anything. Okay. But, you know, it's Ebby will say stuff and post stuff on social media and whatnot. And, um, but it's part of basketball football mm -hmm. now. It's um, part of the chapter of Australian basketball. And yeah, it didn't happen. So, but it's all good banter. We're all, mm -hmm. we all respect each other. And it's part of the battle. Did you guys, what happened? Did you think you had it won? I don't think we ever thought we had it won. I was, yeah, I, I look back on it now and, I know for me personally, I was just trying to get there to contribute because I couldn't put any weight through my knee. Right. So I was, couldn't sort of stop and it's weird, the injury, it's frustrating. So I knew I was on borrowed time, what I could do. And the, probably the anxiety came through to not performing how I would like to personally. Um, yeah, I mean, we all probably look back on it and you watch game tape, what I turn that over, I'm going to inbound, what I, yeah. It happens. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, let's fire this up. Let's talk Brisbane because yeah, these are a hell of a lot better in the bullets. Let's talk 2007. <laughs> yes. Made the move to Bris Vegas and under Joe Wright, things start rocking and rolling. And you have, I mean, the team, of course, oh. one of the greatest of all time, 21 wins in a row at one point. But you have one of the greatest individual seasons in NBL history. League MVP, grand final MVP, defensive player of the year. Um, you were only the second person ever to do that. Leroy did it in 87. Your good mate, Chris, went and did it straight away the year after. Yeah. But 
talk us through that 06, 07 season with the Bullets from a team perspective, but also from after a, a decade of kind of frustration for you mm. in the NBL yep. after winning the title and the world championships and everything, but then missed opportunities and injuries. You're just out there playing amazing. What, what was that season like for you? Well, I guess it was probably getting back in the Australian team for me, you know, six and feeling part of that. Like that was for me, that was the thing that hurt um, for me missing so much time in that next generation when um, Drewy, Vlahov, Breaky, all those guys retired. Um, so getting back in that Australian group and having an off season and then building lead into the 06, 07 season, um, the right people around the team, around the group. Um, uh, it was just, it was fun. That's what it was. It was a lot of fun. And uh, as an athlete, you when your mind and your body comes together, that's when things roll. And, um, pretty sure we had a preseason in the Coffs Harbour tournament. I think we might have had the Blitz there maybe um, yeah. or at some point. And I remember I did pretty well there. I just, I can still remember that going, this is really easy um, and fun. Um, so yeah, it was just, they've rolled on through the year and I won some awards or won a lot of awards and we won the championship. And, you know, there's games, we were all trying to get double figures. They were just fun. Um, players competed. Um, the trainings were great. You know, we had a bit of a, a G unit, a grey unit, um, which was led by Mick Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so our trainings were really competitive and, and like a game. So that really put us in a good position to prepare every week. And that's, if you have that, that's, that's amazing. Did just to just a correct, just just a correction. You didn't win some awards, mate. You won every award. Did you feel yeah. did you feel unstoppable that season? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. And uh, not we. Yeah. Well, me, I did. Me. Yeah, I, I felt as I said, I from the preseason, I just felt like I, no one could guard me or stay with me or I could impact the game wherever I needed to. So Apart from Catalini's 50 that he scored on us, I got Defensive Player of the Year. Anyway, I won't talk about that. <laughs> he, he spoke about that when he joined oh, us. Actually, he? So we got that as well. Dusty Reichardt <laughs> let him have 25 in the first quarter, and then I had to guard him. And he was shooting him into the, into the sea. So anyway, but um, did, that happened. Did you, have to, did you have to guard Hoagie at practice? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, like we all, yeah, because whether it was Dusty or me, um, but that was part of that group was so interchangeable. We could guard from the, you know, who's good in the who's good at guarding bigs is CJ. He's a strong little nugget, and he gets them just draws charges, frustrates people. So we would switch stuff and have a bit of fun with it. And um, yeah, like that was a good group to, to be associated with. That's for sure. When it and of course being part of successful teams previously, but you talk about the fun. You know, you've you've been able to get over that knee and the frustration Liam spoke about for for nearly a decade. The team's playing particularly well. You feel great. You're also on the verge of of, of getting a championship after, you know, over a decade of of, of uh, waiting since your last one. Is it the most fun season you've ever had? Is that your most fun period of basketball during that year? Yeah, without a doubt. That's when it all comes together. Um, chemistry of the group. Um, there was some great look I I mean that chemistry was good. Townsville was was really good. Um, what Stacks did there with Rob and Mike and all the families. Like I was, um, didn't have any kids at that stage, but there was 15 kids under five. That that culture was really good. Um, so I've had some really good time. I mean, the All Aussie group in Razorbacks was great times. But when it comes together and you just feel like you can beat anyone and compete, like that was that was the pinnacle for me. What do you remember about the win streak? Was Singapore in the league that year? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I would have thought so. Maybe. I, I remember we were in Singapore and Dylan Boucher, we were trying to get him to get 10 points. That was that was fun times. <laughs> um, but I kind of also, the win streak, I remember, I thought we need to lose one. <laughs> like it just, it was weird. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. I'd rather lose one, but we kind of didn't lose till the grand final. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when the Tigers beat us, but um, that's when you felt invincible. Knowing you could walk in to anyone's gym, being home or away, clearly away. And they sort of fear you and we had that, that belief. So um, we sort of got to double digits. It was like, oh, let's get this thing rolling. And yeah, it was the group believed in it. I mean, Stephen Black, how good was he? Like he's probably a little bit forgotten about the geez he could play. Like he was smart and Ebby, CJ, 
Brakey off the bench, Dusty, Young Gibson, like it was McHill. Good group, good, good, good fun group to be around. Jeff Van Groningen says that um, Dylan Boucher was yeah, the, the key piece him. to that puzzle. Do you agree with that? No, I forgot about him, so I didn't mention him. He's, he's, a, he's a Kiwi, so he means nothing. <laughs> nah, Dylan, that was the sign-in. I, I do recall my first year. Um, some, yeah, the first year at Brisbane was a bit unique. Um, and then when Jeff signed Dylan, I remember saying to him, that's, now you understand it. Like, that's, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Good team people. So, yeah, Dylan was great, clearly. Well, what was the feeling for you personally? So the the siren goes. You got another championship. Is it is it is it relief because you've been chasing one for so long? Is it the more appreciation as you touched on earlier? Do, do you remember the overriding emotions when finally the buzzer went? Uh, thank F for that. Um, just relief, relief. Yep. I think just to exercise some demons because um, we all like to win. We all love to win and. I have to look back at it and go, well, I was lucky enough to be on successful teams. We may not have always won. Um, we'd all like to win seven out of seven, but that's not my record, unfortunately. So I really appreciated that win. Um, yeah, so much more given it was a, an 11-year span. Well, when you look just on that, just, just want to, the names you mentioned before, Liam, you go back and look at the, you know, one to 12, you know, you talk about practice. Uh, I would almost, without having it 100% in front of me, every single player on that team at some point started in the NBL. At some other time in their career, which is which really shows you the depth of that Brisbane Bullets team and Incredible. and why they were so damn good. Yeah, they definitely look. Everyone in their own right has had it. Yeah, has done well. Even even Mick Hill may have started for Canberra back in the day. I think he might have. <laughs> even <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Mick Hill. Yeah. Um, talk us through what championship celebrations are like when they're funded by ABC Learning Centers. <laughs> Um, yeah, when you get to go on a plane to Vegas and spend a few nights um, there, yeah, it's amazing. And even during that season, you know, flying chartered planes like straight after games and things like that. So I know people have in Brisbane have got their issues with Eddie, but as far as the bullets and what he did for, for our group, gave me some of the best memories. So, um, yeah, very unique and never happened. I don't know if they'll happen again in the NBL, um, potentially. Uh, yeah, just, and it was a, we're all pretty tight. So it was even better to get to celebrate that and just, you know, have a few drinks and actually sit down and talk about the win streak, talk about funny moments of the season. Well, that's when you know you've had a good year. You move back down to Melbourne, you team up with, with Chris and, yep. um, you know, good times, good, strong teams. And then for the third time, you find yourself sitting and watching a grand final series because you're injured. Could you believe that it had happened again? Oh, look, I was ready to retire then. That was um, blood clots then. I was ready to, to give it away. Um, I was sort of done. And really the only reason I played again the next year was because of my kids, because my son um, just wanted a chance to play in front of them. I knew I was, my knees were not where they needed to be, having blood clots, um, things like that. It was just like, geez, what have I done? So. Yeah ran over someone's dog but um yeah so um it was a chance to sort of finish off my career in melbourne because i'd signed a three-year deal for the bullets and then they folded we thought i'll you know two more years and then the blood clots happened i was like um recurrence of that and play with chris in melbourne thought would have been ideal but yeah sat there and watched another one and then the following year was all a bit of a transition for me how often could you train? Like, late you, you mentioned your knees and, and, and how stuffed they were. Like, how often could you train during a week? I'd train every day. Okay. You still, yep. Yeah. Ideally, it wasn't good for me. Mm-hmm. Talk about load management and what I was dealing with. That wouldn't be ideal to do that. Um, with sort of Seamus exiting the Tigers as well. There were some resources that were not there. Um, just ability to do rehab. And I think I'd. Rob Donata, so I think I started sort of seeing him locally and I think he might be the physio or was a physio for a while. So just wasn't exactly a high performance team mm-hmm. at, that, at that stage, whatever, whatever it Seamus was brilliant for the Tigers and but he was on his way out and I was on my way out. Um, see, I look back on that. I got a chance to live in Melbourne, um, play there. And then I just, it was definitely time for me to retire. Back to the... Back to the kind of earlier years, uh, you mentioned earlier the the NBA talk, and you spoke about it as it as it was um, 
alluding to it being a bit of a burden at times, sort of psychologically. Were there any ever serious NBA offers? You know, like those, these, we saw all those guys getting drafted, right? Like um, Paul yeah. Rogers and CJ and whatnot. Mm. And we were thinking, I can remember all of us in the general public around that time thinking about that team, like thinking about you and about the landlord. Yeah. Were there any time? Were there any times where an NBA team seriously knocked on the door? Not for me, no, no. Just camps and trials. So nothing for me. I think just because I didn't shoot the three early enough in my career, um, and that's part of the reason why I left the Magic just um, just to develop that side of it. Um, but not for me, no. Just just camp invites. I thought when I trialed there in 06, I did a a camp there or end of 06 I thought I did well some of those those camps thought Toronto I did really well um, and uh, Cleveland I did okay but I mean it is what it's just wasn't the right timing and um, yeah I wasn't good enough for the NBA at that stage so yeah just that was always probably the younger years was a bit of a burden and the pressure like because Chris had been drafted mm. Whitey had been offered a three year deal like I've People are talking about me. I'm like, well, I can't control it. I can just do what I can do. And mm-hmm. nothing was coming my way just probably because I didn't shoot the three. And if you look back then, they would probably choose a, a raw athlete over an international player. Um, whereas now I think the focus is on about a bit more about team and culture and maybe from that 10 to 15 roster spot have decent human beings who are not going to take up a lot of airspace. Um, and that's definitely changed. I mean, the Spurs led the way in that, and hopefully that's what's going to put our next breed of Aussies coming through is is that, and we'll just keep on filling those spots and get a chance. Like Joey Ingles, like to wait that long and do so well, it's awesome. There'll be plenty more guys like that who are, who are Australian. So given that experience, do you feel well-placed to help Will Magne through that type of situation right now? Yeah, I do. I do feel I feel pretty comfortable in it, um, just with what he's dealing with right now. Um, the unknown and the uncertainty and what offers to take and um, just what he needs to do as well. And just mentally, just that's all white noise at the moment. You can't control that. What we can control is your day-to-day and yeah. working on the three-point shot and coaching him in the QBL was like, do whatever you want to do. You're not going to post up. You can get it off the board, you can drive it down, turn it over. I do not care. You're going to just do that stuff and I want you to shoot. Like he'd shot 10 threes in the first 10 games or something like that. Not enough. Start shooting three ball and just empowering and giving God's confidence. I feel really comfortable in that space. Not just Will, but all our young kids with the bullets and trying to help them develop. Having the experience that you do as a, as a player. In fact, I'll go back one step further. When you were getting to the end of your career, did you always think that something in basketball, be it coach, assistant coach, GM, was, was going to be your future? It's like I, During my career, I always wanted to do the job I have now. Like I was always a basketball operations role, whatever. I thought yeah. I'd love to do that. But when I retired, I kind of wanted to get away from basketball. I think I'd had enough of it and got away from it. Then you sort of get sucked back into it. Your kids start playing. You just all right, I'll coach them, I'll do this, I'll do that. So it's been a bit of a, a long journey to get back into this space, but I'm really, really enjoying it. We're very, I'm very fortunate that I've, you know, basketball, what it's given me, and I really enjoy being back involved on the professional level um, and being able to impact our next generation of kids coming through and trying to develop, you know, the Jason Cadiz and Nathan Sobey. Hopefully you'll see Nathan, different Nathan Sobey this year and, um, yeah, so it's for me being back in this position. I'm yeah, very lucky. Because as I was going to say, sorry, Lane, just just on that, it, it just seems to be like the words you just said about Will Magne, Sobi, Kadee. You got these these young Australians underneath you, and all the experiences, all the ups, all the downs that you've dealt with in their exact situation and what they're trying to achieve. Mm. It, it just seems like it just fits so perfectly with the role you have in setting up and, and running the the franchise, but also that one-on-one open door policy, I assume, to be able to say to these guys, this is what I did. It worked or it didn't work and to guide them into what they want to achieve. Yeah, I hope so. And it's just also winning their trust over, like winning the trust of the players to feel comfortable to talk to me about their own personal struggles or I'm um, doing this well, what can I do this bit better? And we're very like, we've got Dre, um, obviously CJ, 
sometimes with CJ, you don't know what he's trying to tell you, but you, he dumbs it down eventually and you work out what he's saying. But um, so we stir CJ about that. But um, Greg Vanderjack coming on to staff as well. Um, so we've got a good coaching staff and it's an open door policy um, for us. And my experience personally, myself, I, I think I can definitely help. So are you off the floor now on the day-to-day? I am, but I'm also, yeah, I am. To, I am. I'm not on the court, but just around the court, trying to just like to jump in every now and again when I can, just because I think that's a really important part, not just to go straight to administration. My skill set still on court. I can help with bits and pieces and just yeah. talk to players and ask me a training whiz why he did that and mm. just generally have a talk. So yeah. I think that's what I can, I don't have to be that administrator administrative guy who just solely does that hopefully yeah. I can blend both roles yeah well that's I mean because I was interested because you know obviously the work you've done with Will and as mm. a mentor for him and, and helping him both up here and and out on the floor and um, and then you, we see a guy like Harry Froling coming to the organization and he's you know at the time he's saying well I, I want to come and work with Sam McKinnon mm. I really feel mm. like that's going to help me in my game so I, I was wondering like geez if you were off the floor and in the office then they're missing out on those opportunities. Yeah, look, with Harry, that that is one. That one was on me. Um, I know the family quite well. Um, so, but I just, it's environment for Harry. For me, it was just a real simple thing. Really, really simple. Like he's a, he's a good kid with a bit of a, with a bit of an edge. And he just needs to learn to manage that edge. It's that simple. It's not, and not eat as much, um, which I can say that about Harry because I know him quite well, but he's doing a, an amazing job. Like he's, I'm sure if you've seen him, some of the QSL highlights, that's a different league, right? But just yeah. his body shape and size and his IQs off the charts. Like he's a really smart basketball player and he's going to do some big things this year already. Like him, Hodgie, Will, um, young Tyrell. I really like that Aussie front court. And then the one big piece is the import. So um, I really like what our group can potentially do. My Kiwi is not going to enjoy you claiming... Tyrell, just quietly. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but tell, well, it's, just on that, I was actually just, sorry, Lee, I was just going to say you've been a part of a successful All Australian lineup uh, at the Razorbacks and nearly went all the way. Like, did, did it cross your mind to try and oh, go it all has Australian? It's crossed my mind. It yeah. has. It has. Trust me, it's crossed my mind. If um, I can't say who I'd like to look at. Anyway, but yes, it has crossed my mind. <laughs> okay, that'll 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 be enough for us on NBA Live. Time to spend fifteen minutes about who it might have been. Great. I like Let's the idea. We're ready for that. <laughs> We're ready to pivot that way if it goes that way. <laughs> okay. Um, Sam, big news. You're you're obviously a former captain of the Boomers, so we've got to ask you this under the current circumstances. Big news over the last couple of days with Brett Brown stepping down from the role. I've been very strong in saying that I think that. Andre Lamanis would be the right person to step back into that role and we would be best placed to succeed next year if Basketball Australia turned back to him. I don't know where you stand. I know you work with, with Dre on the day-to-day, but, but what are your thoughts on that current situation with the Boomers and the head coaching situation? Yeah, it's really unique now. And I know having so many NBA players in the group and particularly trying to get Ben to play and, and whatnot and commit to that, um, that's why the, the NBA influence is really big, having someone in that space. So um, I think Dre's pretty content to not go back. Uh, I don't know if they've made any phone calls to him to, to sound him out. Um, the obvious one everyone's talking about is Will, Will Weaver. Um, um, just being the NBA background, understanding the inner workings better than most of that. Um, I do feel like that's the way they'll go with someone with an NBA background and knows how to manage the players and get the best out of them. Is it Dave Patrick? If they want to get Ben to play, is it Dave, is it DP who steps into that role and with some, um, I don't know, Trevor Police, I work like the young, I'm well, not a young Australian, Trevor's not very young, but you know what I mean? Like an NBL yeah. coach to help facilitate that. So I don't know which way they'll go, but I think Dre is definitely someone who's worth a phone call. What about? It's hard to about, argue. How do I get? So, what about your first pro head coach? Yeah, he, um, <clears throat> yeah, his name's been mentioned as well. So, um, Dre's, oh, Dre, Gorge is a great um, man manager. That's the one, it's his one strength um, that he's great at. So, I don't know if 
not being around those guys for the number of years, if that would not help that thing. But I don't, yeah, it's, his name's been mentioned. There's some really good candidates out there. And it's a, as far as a world job goes, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people vying mm. for that position. So good luck, BA, making the right call there. And, and just on Brian Gorgian, back in the league after uh, almost a decade out. And as you well and truly spoke about, of course, such a close connection with him as a player. Good to see him back. Yeah, it's great. It's great coup for the league, um, for Larry to get him back on board. And um, it was sad to see him leave however many years ago it was. But he's done really well over in China and opportunity, timing. So to get him back and he's putting a good squad together again. Um, yeah, so I think Wollongong will be a lot different look than they have been the last few years. Mm-hmm. So you just feel for guys like Matty Flynn with the resources they had to deal with. And um, so Gorgeous now, yeah, he's the enemy. So we're coming for him. <laughs> Love it. Hashtag NBL Rewind to get involved. For people right around the country, if you haven't seen the NBL Rewind game, watch it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, NBL TV, however you look at your content, check it out. Southeast Melbourne Magic, Sam McKinnon, first ever triple-double smacking around the Kings. Any last words, Liam, before we let our superstar man go? I've got about seven or eight questions about the small forward position, about Mark <laughs> Patterson and Scotty Hobson. But, uh, you know, well, the, he's been Same very generous with his time. <laughs> he has well, been. Mark Patterson, we tried. Scotty Hobson would be great. There we go. Love it. Sam, That's the answer we were looking for. Perfectly done. Sam, thank you, mate. It's been a hell of a career. And of course, you're still such a huge part of the Brisbane Bullets and the NBL fraternity. So looking forward to NBL 21. And uh, you having your uh, fingerprints, maybe all Australian lineup. We'll see how it goes. Our import and the crew going forward, mate. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, guys.